Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. Once again, we want to welcome you to Milestone Church. I want to welcome those of you at our Hazlitt campus, our McKinney campus, those of you watching online, maybe here at a video venue at our Keller campus. Would you join with me in welcoming them? Good to have all of you with us. What an incredible fall it's been. I hope you've been able to be a part of our 20th anniversary celebration as a church family. It's been so cool to see all the things that God's been doing. We have incredible things planned for you coming up for Christmas, for you and for your neighbor, coworker, loved one, person in your neighborhood who's gonna see your yard sign, whoever you can bring. We know that over the next few weeks, God's gonna do incredible things in the lives of people all throughout our region, and we would love for it to be your friend, your family, your neighbor, your coworker who experiences God for the very first time, but we're here this weekend because we believe God has something great for us. We're in really the second part of this little two-part series, Thankful. And you're like, okay, well, I guess it's that time of the year. It's Thanksgiving. We're supposed to talk about being thankful, and thankful is a thing that we should, we know we're supposed to be that, and we know we're supposed to try, but you might be wondering, well, Jed, is that really a, a biblical idea, or is that just kind of a cultural thing? Well, look what the Bible says. In Colossians 3.15, it says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Anybody else want that? I'm, I'm up for some of that. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace. Look what it says. And always be thankful. Oh, is that all? Right? Like, always be thankful? I don't know if you hear that and you think, well, that sounds like a lot. You mean not just like in that moment after we've all had turkey and we're sitting around in a family and we're all like, Say one thing that you're thankful for, right? Like, and the kids are jostling to get in line because they all want to be the first to say family or Jesus. This year, my wife pulled the, the switch move on them. She goes like, you can't say family or Jesus. And they're like, mom, are you saying we're not thankful for family and Jesus? And she's like, no, but that just makes it too easy. You got to say something deeper than that. And so they were all rattled at our house. I, I don't know what it looked like at your family, but it's like, we, there are moments, let's be honest, there are moments where it's easier to be thankful than others, right? Like when things are going great at work, when things are good with your family, when your finances are going great, you know, when, when, you, when your health report's clean and you're feeling great about life, maybe even when your football team wins, since we're talking about it, yes, my football team did win. Some of the other services, they're like, are you an Aggie? No, let me just be very clear, despite the color today, I am not an Aggie. I'm a proud alumnus of the University of Southern California fight on. We have been fighting on 11 and one on our way to the college football playoff. We will take your prayers. Um, but man, the sun just bright, the sun shines brighter. The music's a little sweeter. When your team's winning, everything feels right in the world. But most of the time, being thankful is a challenge. It's difficult. We're like, do we willpower our way into this? How do we actually make this work? How do we get to a point where we could be thankful? And today, this weekend, we're going to look at a, at a secret that runs throughout all of Scripture. And the secret is simply this. If we're left to our willpower, if we're left to our circumstances, if we're left to ourselves, it's going to be very, very difficult to consistently be thankful. 
So God gives us a better way. He gives a solution. He gives us an opportunity. And the way that you and I become thankful, the way that we grow in this area of our lives, the way that we experience his peace is by spending time in God's presence. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm chapter 16. We're going to look there in Psalm 16. And we're going to understand what God's up to and how his presence helps us live differently. You might even be wondering about the language of that. What do you mean, Jed? Well, we're going to talk about it, and I'm going to work very hard to make it as practical as I possibly can. Because let's be honest, it really only makes a difference if it impacts those parts of our lives where we live on a daily basis. I don't know if you've noticed this, but man, life can be challenging, can be difficult. So much easier to hold on to the negative things in life, right? Like there might be four or five great things that happen to you and one negative thing can take away all the joy from those good things. It's actually scientifically proven, they call it negativity bias. And there's a rule of four. You need four positive things to happen to you to outweigh one negative thing. We all just tend to fixate. We get drawn to that. It's like we're trying to do what's right. We're trying to keep our heart right. We're trying to enjoy our lives, but then those little moments come, and it's typically not one big moment. It's a bunch of little moments that over time, they add up, and so when we should be enjoying and celebrating and being thankful, we keep being drawn back to the challenge, to the discouragement, to the worry, to the fear. We all have those. I was thinking about, how do I make this real for you? And and my mind got brought back to one of Satan's greatest forces in the earth. It's a demonic entity that I wrestle with on a regular basis. It's a significant challenge in my life. It's not a a lion. It's not a great white shark. I kind of like both of those things. This enemy of mine is the mosquito. I hate mosquitoes. There's no redemptive uh, uh, character trait to a mosquito. It's all bad all the time. I hate mosquitoes. When I moved to Texas, I thought, okay, if I move to Texas, maybe the mosquitoes will be big enough because everything's bigger in Texas and I can smash them and I won't get bit as much. It's been twice as bad. Mosquitoes here are savage. They're like saber-toothed mosquitoes, man. They find me too. We could be at an outdoor event. I don't know if it's because I'm a ginger. I don't know if it's because of my blood type. They love me. Like, if you don't want to get bit by a mosquito, stand next to me, because they all come and find me. And when they bite me, I swell up. I, I get, my skin gets hot. It's like, it's like, I'm starting to scratch. You know, I'll do whatever. I'll use ointments. I'll use lotions. Somebody one time said, take your fingernail, make an X. It makes it go away. I don't know if it works or not. I'll try whatever, because I hate those things. They, you can't even see them. I don't even want to go outside anymore. It's like the mosquitoes just, they irritate me so bad. Why? It's not like this giant big threat. It's just a bunch of little bites. A little bit of poison here, a little bit of poison there, a little toxicity here, a little toxicity there. And then all of a sudden, the compounding effect of all of that makes me so I can't think about anything else. And really that's how fear and discouragement and worry work in our lives. A little bit here, a little bit there, a small bite here, a small bite there, but the compounding effect is you can't think about anything else. And here's what I know to be true. God does not want us to live that way. 
He wants, to live in his, he wants us to live in his presence. He wants us to overcome challenges. He wants us to experience his peace and his joy and his goodness. And the way that we do that is through his presence, which brings us back to Psalm chapter 16. Now, you maybe you didn't grow up in church. Maybe you don't know that much about the Bible. The book of Psalms is the biggest book in the entire Bible. It's right there in the middle. And the word psalm roughly translates into the word song. So are you saying like, Jed, like the singing part, like, I read a lot of books. I don't know if you know this. I, I, I have a big library and I'm reading all things all the time. I don't have in my library a bunch of books that are just song lyrics. But really that's what the book of Psalms is. I don't know if you, you've ever considered this. Jesus quoted the book of Psalms more than anything else. It was a part of his life. It was a fundamental part of how he related to God. Maybe you've, you've come to a church service and you've been like, well, I, I like the preaching, I like when the guy's talking, but I'm not really into the worship part of it. I'm not really into the music. I don't really connect to that. I don't really know what's happening there. I don't really know the songs. And yet God says, whether you know or understand the songs, whether it's your kind of deal, whether it's your kind of flow, you need what happens in those moments. Let's be honest. We, we all are looking for a closer experience with God. If you have no history with God, I, I would be willing to bet you go, well, I would like to know him. I would like to know his heart for me. I would like to hear his voice. I would like him to be close to me. And one of the ways that we learn how to be close to God is by being in his presence. And one of the ways we learn about his presence is through worship and through singing. It's not just tradition. It's a fundamental part of how God created us to relate to him. It's amazing to me how even people who aren't really into that kind of thing, they understand at some level that music does things to us. We can't always explain why. It's a little bit of a mystery. If you like to watch movies, it's always the music in a movie that makes you cry. I mentioned football a moment ago. I'm a big football fan. I love all kinds of football. I love American football. I also love world football. And right now, you may not realize this, but two billion people are watching the World Cup. It's happening right now. And World Cup football is a little bit different than American football. And American football, when we're really into it, when we want our team to do well, we, we say stuff like, defense defense. We chant that. Or sometimes people will be like, make some noise. And you're just yelling indiscriminate things. just like, ah, because you care. You're trying to impact the outcome. You're trying to get a false start. You're trying to impact the other team. They don't do that in world football. In world football, they sing. They sing like these, there's no defense. They just sing these beautiful, elaborate songs. You're like, well, that's because nothing ever happens. So they have to do something. <laughs> Now, you, you, maybe you just don't understand the game. you got to learn it a little bit better. But, but I don't know if you realize this, but a couple weeks ago, there was an NFL game in Germany, and Germany's a big world football country, but they like American football. And so the, the Buccaneers were playing, and Tom Brady were playing, and it was coming to the end of the game. And the fans do what they always do. They started singing. And the NFL players were like, this is pretty cool. They're singing. Now, I don't know why they were singing what they were singing. They were singing, Take Me Home, Country Roads by John Denver. <laughs> But just the fact that they were singing something, the players were into it. They're like, this is powerful. They started singing along with the fans. Take me home, country road. It's like, why are you singing that at a football game in Germany? You're going to be singing that at lunch. You're welcome. And here's the point. Music does something to us. It moves us. Whether it's our favorite song or we know something about it, because that's how God wired us. Some of the most important things in life we struggle to be able to articulate them, to talk about them, but we know how they impact us. 
And music and being in God's presence is one of those things. So my goal for you is to help you understand a little bit more what happens in those moments. How do I get closer to God? How do I experience his presence? Let's look now, Psalm 16, starting in verse 7. Remember, these are song lyrics. This is King David singing to the Lord. He says, I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. Now, before you think, oh, well, that's easy for King David to say he was a worshiper. If you know something about the Bible, you know he was a man after God's own heart. But if you know that, you probably also understand he lived a life filled with challenges and ups and downs. And there was one moment where he would be out worshiping God in the field and fighting off uh, lions and bears. And then the, the biggest day in the history of his family, the whole family forgot about him but he wasn't too hurt or worried about it because he was out worshiping God and then he defeats Goliath and after he defeats Goliath, then it's like, you're gonna be king, but it didn't happen right away and the guy who was already king was like, I like you, but not that much and now I'm gonna kill you and he had this, all this drama and all of these challenges. So what did he do about it? He kept singing. He kept singing things like, I'm gonna bless the Lord because the Lord guides me. Would you enjoy that? to have the kind of a relationship with God where he would guide you? Not just in your huge decisions, life-altering decisions, but in those little day-to-day -day moments. And I believe that's what David's communicating us by the power of the Spirit, that that same God who guided him can guide you. He can guide you through those challenging decisions, those big decisions, those small decisions. He's present with you to guide you. I love what verse nine says, no wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. There's something about David going, I don't understand it all. Sometimes it surprises me, but when I focus on worshiping God, something in me becomes glad without a circumstantial reason, without my football team winning, without an external inside of me, I begin to rejoice. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of life I wanna live. My body rests in safety. We're gonna talk about that in a minute, how our worship actually affects, our, our time in God's presence actually affects our physical body. For you'll not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. I think that's interesting. David switched genres. We're no longer in the love song genre. I mean, you don't talk about rotting graves and dead bodies. He's pretty metal right now. I mean, that, like, that's intense. But, but he's doing here something I think we all do. Maybe you've done this. I know I do. It's called catastrophizing. When you're emotional, when you're going through a challenging thing, my mind goes to the worst case scenario. What's the worst thing that could happen? Don't go to WebMD, because it's gonna tell you the same thing if you look long enough, you have cancer. Um, we in our head, we go like, ah, I feel a little off. What's the worst thing this could be? Because what we try to do in our mind is we try to go, okay, if the worst thing happens, could I prepare myself emotionally for that? We're trying to lessen the blow. And what David's doing is, when you come into God's presence, even if the worst thing happens, God's still greater, he's still better, you can still find joy even in that moment. Look what he goes on to say here, verse 11. I love this. You will show me the way of life. Do you know there's a way to live, to experience the most of God's presence? the most joy, the most peace, the most gratefulness. I don't know about you, but I wanna live that way. You grant me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you 
forever. In David's mind, what he needed was not just a change in his circumstances. He had very challenging circumstances. He didn't just need his family to act better. He had an amazingly dysfunctional family. Not only the brothers and sisters and moms and dads and his own family situation, his own children would consistently be challenging and difficult. He had work challenges, he had financial challenges, he had physical health challenges. And what David says is what brings me joy, what is the way of life, is not when everything in my externals get right, but when my heart turns towards God, I get close to him and I live in his presence. It's what we all need. It's what we're all created for. If you're like, Jed, can you summarize what this passage means? I would say it to you this way. We're created to live in God's presence and to experience it every day. His presence brings health to every aspect of our lives. God's presence will bring health to every area of your life. You struggle in your emotions, you need more of his presence. Do you struggle in your relationships? You need more of his presence. Do you struggle in your physical body? His presence will help you. You're like, Jed, how does that work? Is, are you saying that if we just sing all the time that God will be closer to us? That's part of it, but that's not what I'm saying. We experience it though. In many ways, that's how we learn what his presence is like. I don't know if you've been in moments of corporate worship when we gather together as a people and something happens, not because we're singing Take Me Home, Country Road, but when we lift up our voices to Jesus together, something happens, his presence comes in a greater way. Some people say, well, I felt positive, I felt uplifting, I felt hope. What you felt was the presence of a God who created you and loves you and wants to be close to you. But it's not the singing. The singing gives us a picture of what that's like. You, you say, Jed, how can we have confidence that we enter his presence? Well, it's the same way that we have confidence about anything else. It's the same thing that the entire purpose of scripture does is it points us to the person of Jesus. See, it's not the right song. It's not a physical building. It's not being in corporate worship. What allows us to experience the presence of God is the person and the finished work of Jesus. See, it's not about, hey, if you go to enough services, if you do enough good things, if you do more good things than bad things, if you live on that treadmill, eventually you'll wear yourself out through your own self-righteousness. The confidence that I have when I turn towards God that his presence meets me is not because I'm a pastor. It's not because I've been reading the Bible for 40 years. It's not because I do spiritual activities. The confidence that I have to enter the presence of God is because I have a Jesus who lived a life I couldn't live, who died a death in my place, who gives to me as a free gift his righteousness that I receive simply by faith. And in the promise of John 14, he said, if anyone would love me, he would obey me, and my father and I would come and make our home in him. That's the answer. We call it the gospel. It's the good news that in your brokenness, on your worst day, when you feel farthest from God, Jesus comes and said, I can close that gap. If you'll put your hope and you'll trust in me, you can live in the presence of a perfect God forever, not because you're worthy, but because I am, and I will make my home in you. And when you understand that, it changes everything. His peace, his promise, his power, his presence. 
If you don't hear anything else I say, every single thing that the human soul is looking for is found in the person of Jesus. And he makes himself available to any who would receive him. And I think one of the ways that we understand, one of the ways this presence becomes real is through how we relate to God and music. Now, I did grow up going to church. I do remember from a young guy, I didn't really connect to church music. And it wasn't like this kind of church music. It was like there's an organ and there's an older person who's trying hard and turning your hymnal to number 347. We're going to sing stanzas one, two, and four because you always skip three. I don't know why, but we did. And you start singing a song and you're a kid and you're trying to make sense of it. And all of a sudden you're like lifting up your Ebenezer. You're like, how'd Scrooge get into the song? And if you know, you know. And I just be like, this doesn't make sense, but I, I kind of understand I'm supposed to be into this, so I'm trying hard. And I've never been like musically inclined. I don't have a great voice. No one would want to listen to me sing. And, but I always kind of liked music. Right? I'm a kid of the 80s, so I, I, it was a big deal when we all got our Walkman. You know, you'd have your Walkman, you get your batteries, those batteries would drain fast, but you'd listen to your tunes, and you had your tapes, right? Like, so you had whatever tapes you had, and if you listened to the same tape too much, the tape would break, so you'd have to get the pencil, wind it out, find the break, put the tape in there, connect it, and you're back in business, as long as you had batteries. But then you had a boombox. Anybody remember those? You carry your boombox with you, and you had those giant size D batteries that you only use for radios and flashlights, and our kids don't understand any of this, because it's like they walk around with devices that has every song ever. And so they appreciate none of them, right? But, but I remember as a young person, every so often, there would be a moment, not because I was a pastor's kid or I went to church all the time, but it stopped being a song and it started being a moment where I was in God's presence. I remember this hymn in the garden, come to the garden alone while the dew still on the roses. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I belong to him. And I can't tell you how it happened. I can't tell you why. I can't tell you who was leading the song. I don't even remember what day it was. But in a moment, it stopped being, hey, this is a religious service. And in that moment, it became a person connected to the presence of an almighty God that touched me in a way that changed me forever. And it wasn't because the beauty and the artistry and the skill of the musician. It was about a heart being connected to a God who loves him. And what I've found is that presence has sustained me in every year and every circumstance and every challenge since that point. To where now, when I come into moments where we gather, I'm so grateful for corporate worship. A couple weeks ago on our 20th celebration service, I sat over here and sang over there and the worship team came out. We sang these songs that we hadn't sung for years and it was nostalgic, but it's not just nostalgia. It's the sense of when you sing these songs, you remember, I remember 10 years ago, 20 years ago where I sang that song and God was faithful then and he's been faithful ever since then. And in those corporate moments, you remember the presence and faithfulness of God who brings you through every challenging season, who gives you joy in the triumphs, and who gives you comfort in the sorrow, and you realize what an incredible gift and how easy it is 
to overlook because the purpose of corporate worship is not to just make you feel good in the moment, but it's to help you understand how to find the presence when you're on your own. That's what we all need. In these last few moments, I want to make this as real as possible. How do we consistently experience God? Because I believe you can. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, no matter where you're at in your relationship with Jesus, if you'll turn your heart towards him, you can experience him on a daily basis. How do we consistently experience God? Well, number one, we stay open and engaged with him. We stay open and engaged with him. I will warn you, this is not natural for us. What's natural to human beings is not to be open to God, but it's to turn inwardly and to think about ourselves. We think, why won't anybody help me? Why doesn't anybody understand? Why doesn't anybody know what I'm going through? And we turn inward, and the more inward we turn, the more distance we feel from the presence of a God who's never left us because he promised he would never leave or forsake us. And I don't know, you're, you're here. I'm not trying to scold you. I'm not trying to, to, to correct you. You're here. You're watching online. You're over in Hazlitt or McKinney. You're, you're with us. You're wanting to know how this works. And I realize a lot of the times what keeps us closed and distant from his presence isn't that we have a bad heart. It isn't that we're throwing a pity party. We just don't understand. We just fall into patterns of life that keep us distant from his presence. And the first one, I think you can relate to this because I can, is distraction. We don't mean to box God out of our lives, but it ends up happening because most of us, if we're honest, we're overscheduled, meaning we have too many things going on. We wear busy as a badge of honor. And we try to out-busy each other because somehow we think the more busy we are, the more significant we are, and it's simply not true. And not only are we overscheduled, we're overstimulated. We have more information, and we want more information than we could ever possibly functionally use. So we have all of these emotions and all these worries and all these fears, and we constantly live stressed and distracted lives because we're so scattered and spread over so many things because culture tells us you can and you should have it all, and you should have it all right now. And so we're trying to cram so many things into our life that we miss out on the things that are actually life. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Happened to me this week. I had so many things that I was doing. I was like, God, how did I get in this situation? But, but what works in those moments, I'm sure you've done this, what works in those moments is like, how do you eat an elephant like one bite at a time? So you try to simplify and compartmentalize down to the urgent, what's the thing I have to get done right now? And so what happens is, because you reduce your life down to, what do I have to do right now? You have no margin for anything outside of that. And so you're living at your limits. And so you're consistently frustrated, you're easily irritable with your spouse or your kids, maybe that's just me, um, but you're, you're in those moments and you don't intend to, you're not trying to get there, but that's just where you end up. And what really happens, I don't know if you've heard this concept before, but I've been thinking about it a lot, one of the most difficult things emotionally and mentally for us is task switching. So when you're focusing on one thing, trying to stop from that deep focus and to think about something else, makes you feel distracted, disoriented, and tired. Of course, all parents already know this, right? Like, you ever been focused on something that was super important, and they always wait for the perfect timing, 
but your teenager comes in and goes, Dad, I've got to ask you a really important question. Now, here's my move that I always go to in that moment because I don't like task switching. So I go, okay, really simple. Go ask your mom. <laughs> right? Because I don't want to give mental energy to your problem because Dad's doing important stuff. Now, Mom's a ninja, and she's already thought about this. And so she's already sent them to me. So they go, well, I already asked mom. And she said to ask you. I was like, dang it. She beat me to it. So she's staying on her thing. And now I'm dealing with the situation. So then you're like, tell me. And so you're listening to their problem. And they're like, no. And then they're like, dad, don't you love me? And you're like, go sort it out with the Lord. Dad's doing what he's doing. So you get back to your thing. But you're distracted and you're busy. And it's like, how much better would the situation have gone Instead of compartmentalizing your stuff to get your stuff done, you stop and go, God, would you help me to understand? Would you guide me through this situation? Would you multiply my time? Would you allow me to lean not into my own strength, but into your strength? Would you give me wisdom from heaven? It's amazing how we feel like God's too busy. He wouldn't answer that question. You'd be amazed at how often he would. We get distracted. We don't mean to compartmentalize them and box them out, but that's what ends up happening. Here's the second thing that keeps us closed and distant is that we're not self-aware. We're not self-aware. You're not, and I'm not. Don't get mad at me. It's just true. We're not self-aware. And one of the ways that we could tell we're not self-aware is the way we present our bodies. Like our bodies communicate a lot. Like, I'm growing in this area because I never really thought about this. I was like, what do you mean your bodies communicate? That's weird. People would say nonverbal communication. I'd be like, whatever. That's what some people think. It's not true. It's actually true. My wife tells me about this thing. Maybe you've noticed it with me. She says, Jed, you have a mean resting face. I said, like, what do you mean? I'm the friendliest guy. I'm funny. Everybody likes me. She's like, not really. I was like, whoa, self-awareness fail. Here's what it means. Sometimes when I'm concentrating, I tend to make, in my mind, a, 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 a cerebral, thoughtful, intelligent face. And she says, no, you look like you want to murder someone. <laughs> She's like, remember to smile. I was like, that's weird. I'm not a TV weatherman. She's like, it communicates something. It's actually true. It's called neural mirroring, right? Like if you take a baby and you scowl at a baby, the baby cries. If you take a baby, don't try that at home. If you take a baby and you smile at the baby, the baby smiles back. But it's not just smiling. Think about this. Here's another one. You ever done this? You're a deep, serious person of the word. No. You look closed off. You look like you're mad. If you come to somebody's birthday party and you're like, happy birthday. <laughs> it's weird. You're like, why are you making that point? Unfortunately, a lot of us come to church. We're like, when's the preaching start? You're communicating something. Don't get mad at me. The worship team asked me to say that to you. Anyways, <laughs> but they're right. See, our body language communicates so much. It's not about let's be charismatic, but I will say this. If you read the Psalms, there's a lot of lift up your hands. There's a lot of kneel before the Lord. There's a lot of shout, clap for joy. There's a lot of even don't get too scared. There's a lot of dance before the Lord. We'll work up to that one. Anyways, the point is when you stand like this, it's not like, ooh, check me out. Look how expressive I am. It's like, hey, God, I'm open. Look at my eyes. They're looking up to you. My arms are open. Whatever you want, Lord, I'm open to it. When you communicate to God openness as opposed to, 
I don't know if I'm into this. It changes the way you experience his presence and it changes your heart. If it's too much to start here, just give it a little one of these, get a starter kit, do something. But just don't come into God's presence with an attitude of like, I'm not sure I want to be here, as opposed to God, how great and how kind and how good you are, what a privilege it is to be in your presence. It's so true and so real that actually they, they've proven that people who are trying to get a flight, there's actually a physical posture they call it the kindly brontosaurus. That if you stand like leaning forward, Next to the ticket counter, try this. I don't know, I've never tried it, but they said if you do the kindly brontosaurus where you smile and you lean in and you're kind of like this, hi, remember me, I'm a nice person, you get on the flight. As opposed to if you go up to the counter and throw a temper tantrum, they're like, we're not giving you a spot. Try it next time, the kindly brontosaurus. What we do with our body communicates what's happening in our hearts. Here's the second thing. We follow God's pattern in the Psalms. Now, I don't have time to show you how this is repeated over and over and over in Scripture in the Psalms, but I'll just give you one. It's one of my favorites. Psalm 45 says this. This is David again. He says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? What is he doing there? He's showing that he's self-aware. He knows, God, I'm in your presence, but something's off. I'm sad. I'm discouraged. I'm in a bad spot. My heart's not doing so good, God. But he doesn't stay there. He says, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. This is a pattern. This is a picture that God gives us of how he wants us to, to respond in his presence. And I want to make this as practical as simple because I think every single one of us could take this today and apply it to our lives. So when we come into his presence, the first thing we do is we process. What's going on in my heart? See, we do this whether we realize it or not. You might be, dad, you might be at work and have a difficult interaction. And that difficult interaction doesn't stay at work. You bring it home. You walk in the door. You give it to your spouse. You're giving her the negativity that you received at work because you didn't process it. So you give it to her. And now what was a work issue is now a family issue. And in your interaction with your spouse, if you don't heal it there, you pass it on to your kids. And maybe even if you pass it on to your kids, the poor dog gets some of it too, right? It's like... Go back to the beginning. What am I feeling? Where are these feelings coming from? Why am I so easily offended? Why am I insecure? Why am I making something that someone passed on to me about me? It's not. I'm going to process that. What does God say to do with these feelings? And in this ability to understand, okay, I'm struggling. Most of us don't have the ability to articulate what we're feeling, but God will help you. When you're in his presence, you, you get an insight into what's really going on in your heart in a way that you wouldn't if you don't stop and take the attention because we are so busy. So you have to stop and process what I'm feeling. The second thing is we all medicate. What do you mean by medicate, Jed? Well, how do you cope with the stress and the pain and the trauma that you're going through? We all find something. Some of us eat our feelings. Some of us drink our feelings. Some of us exercise our feelings out. Some of us binge our feelings some of us turn to our hobbies, whatever it is. There's something in our lives we turn to to process the pain and trauma that we're going through. And those things can be a gift and God gives us many of those things. But here's my question. My question is, do you experience God's presence when you turn to those things? See, you can eat where you're not just eating your feelings, you're eating out of a gratefulness and a gratitude towards God and his presence comes and meets you in that place. 
You could watch your favorite show. You could watch a movie in the presence of God. It doesn't even have to be, quote, unquote, a Christian movie. But if you do it with an open heart and invite him into the process, he'll meet you in that place. The same is true of exercise. The same is true of, uh, of, of a hobby, any other thing. The question is not, uh, do you do those things? God gives those to, the, to those things to us as gifts. The problem is when we think those are the things that actually provide health to us. That's really what it means to make something an idol. Work is a blessing, a way that you honor God until work becomes an idol where you look to find your identity and your worth in your work. The same is true of your exercise. The same is true of your hobby. The same is true of, of anything else we try to look to to satisfy the deepest longings of our soul that's not God. And the third thing is we have to refresh. How do we replenish our energy? How do we get renewed strength? Here's the questions we have to ask. What am I doing to rest and renew my strength? We all know what it's like to plan and save for a vacation, to work really hard, to go on that vacation, to put our hope in that vacation, and to come back more exhausted and less refreshed than we were when we left. How disappointing is that? A much better solution is to find your rest and to find your strength by creating intentional moments with God to be in his presence. You know, he gives us this as a pattern we also need to ask ourselves, am I following God's pattern of rest? We call it the Sabbath. You know, you can, just as the same way as God will provide more for you living off 90% than off 100%, you get more done working six days than you do working seven when you take that last day to honor and to reflect and to refresh. The same is true with our sleep. This is a challenging one for me. I'll easily buy into the lie. We'll sleep when we're dead. That's stupid. We need that time. God gives us sleep as a gift. Our sleep can be restorative. It can be refreshing. It allows us to see perspectives and problems from a different way. It really comes down to do we trust God to be our source or do we look to ourselves? What am I trying to say? You and I, very quickly, are going to blink and we're going to go from Thanksgiving to Christmas. We'll blink again and it'll be 2023. Life will be happening to us. We'll be overscheduled, overstimulated. The question will be, not do we know where to turn. We know to turn to God. The question will be, were we willing? Were we desperate? Were we intentional enough to create moments, not just in corporate worship, but in our messy, difficult, challenging, hard to be grateful, day-to-day -day lives to experience and encounter his presence. It's not about can we, it's about will we. Do we really trust that he's our source? How good, how loving, how generous, how ever present is our God who says, everything you're looking for is right here in me. Come to me and I'll give it to you. Let's pray. Jesus, so grateful for the reminder. Lord, we sense your presence in this moment. You're here with us. You have everything we'll ever need for life and godliness. Lord, more than a change in our circumstances, more than a wonderful event, your presence gives us joy that the world can't take away. Maybe you didn't know that a relationship with Jesus was not about doing a bunch of religious stuff, but really coming to the end of yourself and saying, God, I put my trust in you. I trust, I put my hope in the perfect life you lived. 
The death you paid in my place. I want to know you, God. You don't have to clean yourself up at your lowest moment, right where you're at. You can just say, Jesus, will you come into my life? He'll meet you in that place. For those of us who know this, who've prayed that prayer, let this be a reminder of our ever-present God who's always willing to welcome us into his presence, which is the way of life. And it's where we find joy and peace and the life we're looking for. Jesus, thank you for your presence. I pray every one of us would experience it more when we gather and worship and when we're in our individual day-to-day lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.